0: You know, the kids liked it because they realized that it was a better way to help them learn. Some of them struggled with it, I think. I mean, I know they did because it was different. We had other struggles like, you know, only 70% of our kids had high-speed internet at home. And so we had to solve that problem. We had to burn DVDs. We were having all kinds of issues early on to figure out how to get access for every student. But after that first year, we decided to, we taught traditionally the first year we were there. The second year, we did flip classroom, and our scores went up by one standard deviation. We gave the exact same test the next year, and we thought, oh, wow, this this works.
2: I'm Tiffany Snyder and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Gardner. Hi, Brad.
1: Hi, Tiffany. I have a riddle for you.
2: Yes, I hope so.
1: How is knowledge like underwear?
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know, Brad.
1: You need to have it, but you don't always need to show it.
2: <laughs> That's good. I thought it might have to do with like, changing it, but I mean, change it. Never mind. <laughs> We'll keep on going.
1: You missed your chance.
2: I missed my chance. Today, we are excited to welcome to the podcast, John Bergman. John Bergman is one of the pioneers of the flipped classroom. He has helped schools, universities, organizations, and governments all over the world introduce active and flipped learning into their contexts. He is a frequent keynote speaker who challenges and inspires audiences with stories and real life examples from his classroom. John has taught at an urban, suburban, rural, and private school. He spent 24 years as a classroom teacher in Colorado before becoming a technology facilitator in the Chicago suburbs. When Flip Your Classroom became an international bestseller, he traveled the world for eight years, helping schools and universities move from passive to active learning. In 2019, John returned to the classroom to further develop flipped and mastery learning. This has amplified John's voice with teachers and professors. They now see him as a fellow teacher working through the complexities and challenges of teaching today because his presentations include struggles and successes as he works every day with students. John believes the two most important things that make good teaching are active learning and relationships. Too much education is received passively and John knows from both research and experience that students learn best when they are active participants. John has written and co-authored 10 books that have been translated into 13 languages. In 2002, John received the Presidential Award for Excellence for Math and Science Teaching. And in 2010, he was a semifinalist for Colorado Teacher of the Year. He serves on the advisory board for TED education, teaches full time science and assists with staff development at Houston Christian High School in Houston, Texas. And you can find out more about John at johnbergman.com, as well as book resources at the Mastery Learning We're so excited to have John Bergman on the Digital to Learn podcast today. Hi, John.
0: Hey, guys, it's great to be with you guys.
2: Thank you. I'm a little excited for this because it's been a while, to be honest with our listeners, since Mr. Brad Garner has developed some of these get acquainted questions, and I could tell in my preparation for today that these are true BG, get acquainted questions, which is <laughs> so much more fun than the ones that I come up with. So, John, we're going to start right there with those. Question one, what's the craziest fashion trend you've ever rocked?
0: Uh, two things, bell-bottom jeans, late <laughs> 70s, <laughs> and neon stuff in the 80s. Yeah. Wow. 80s. <laughs>
2: wow.
0: Very Did good. you
2: keep any of it? Because you know this stuff cycles back around, right?
0: Not the bell-bottom jeans, but I'm a cyclist, so I actually now wear quite a bit of neon green. Neon. Killed on very good. Own. So very good. good. I can still rock the '80s neon. So. <laughs> so, John, what was the first record, tape, or CD that you ever owned? I I had to think about this, but definitely Pink Floyd, The Wall. Oh, we don't need no education. All which right, is kind of ironic given that my whole life has been dedicated to education. And what format was that in? Oh, it was totally a record. Yeah, yeah. Vinyl? Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Oh, vinyl. Yeah, yeah. I'm old, so yeah. CDs. <laughs> I mean, I had kids by the time CDs came out.
2: So. <sighs> <laughs> All right. What's your funniest talent or untalent?
0: Well, I'm not sure if it's like funny, but I do play a pretty mean harmonica. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm the only church harmonica player i've ever met, so I play at church in our worship band, which is very odd and I play by ear so. Although another thought I had is I once played a Spice Girl at an all school (laughs) assembly once does that count that was weird. Which Spice Girl? Which one? You know. I don't remember it was so many years ago but it
1: doesn't really matter
0: as yeah, long yeah. as you're a spice
1: girl yeah
0: at that point i frankly wasn't even sure who the spice girls were uh-huh. because i don't keep up with cultural trends very well so okay last question john
1: what show on netflix did you binge watch embarrassingly fast
0: stranger things
1: 100 oh, okay.
0: oh okay good good
1: Well, you're going to get another dose of Stranger Things here today, so. Okay.
2: Yeah, that's right. One thing that I love about this is, I know our listeners can't see, but John is joining us from a science classroom. If there's anybody behind the scenes right now that can hear this podcast, a student in particular, I just imagine them laughing as they hear these answers. Now they've got some leverage on you (laughs) about your things you like and do. All right, well, we're going to move to our slightly more formal discussion questions. And we talked a bit in the pre-show how you have a history of connection with our mixed media producer, Mike Jones, who's behind the scenes. So it's just so neat that Mike heard about your upcoming book and was able to reach out to you and have you on the show. First question, what's it like being a middle and high school science teacher?
0: You know, it's been my calling in life, and I get the privilege of hanging around with young people every day and to, I hope, have an impact on their lives. And they are a lot of fun working with teenagers. Some people think that's just crazy. You know, why would you spend your life with teenagers? They've got energy, their optimism, their passion. Sometimes their drama that you know sometimes is overwhelming, but it's all good, and I love to see the next generation. Those who believe that oh the world's going to you know what in a handbasket, I don't think they have met the kids I've met. So uh, oh. I'm optimistic for the kids that I get to hang out with and be with every day. What a great endorsement!
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, John, you're credited with being one of the early adopters in the flipped learning movement. What got you moving in that direction?
0: Well, it was kind of a weird story. So in Woodland Park, Colorado, you know, where Mike and I met, I showed up and then I was in my early 40s. At that stage, I'd moved my family moved to the mountains of Colorado. And at the same time, Aaron Sam shows up. He's also a hired two science teachers that year, the two of us, and we decided to work collaborative together. And we had a problem at the school, and the problem was being a small rural high school, the closest school that our kids would have a competition against a basketball game or a debate tournament or whatever, was 45 minute drive. And so what happened is at the end of the day, like, well, like lunch, (laughs) that's not the end, or like one o'clock, there'd be a mass exodus of kids Mm -hmm. to catch a bus to go to a competition. And what we were struggling with was how do we keep the kids up who missed the afternoon class? Hmm. And so one day, Aaron says, hey, I discovered this screen capture software that will record your lesson, your PowerPoints. And we thought, oh. So we asked the science department head, he said, we can have 50 bucks for this software. He said, sure. And then we started to record our morning lectures for the afternoon classes. And we said, oh, this is really working. And then it really all started with this conversation. A little bit later on, the curriculum director shows up. I love that you're doing this sort of recording your lessons. You know, my daughter's attending Colorado State University and her professor is recording his lectures and my daughter loves it. And then she said, this is the kind of the words that rocked our life. She said, my daughter loves it because she doesn't have to go to class anymore. <laughs> and I, we kind of looked at her and thought, what? And then later that day, the next day, it was very soon afterwards, we had this conversation basically going, what's the value of class time? if you don't have to go to class? And then one of us said, well, what if we like pre-recorded our lessons? And then everybody watched these videos and we looked at each other and said, oh dude, we need to do that so that's how we started the flip classroom though we weren't the first ones to do it we didn't know anybody was doing it there was a guy richard platt in 1999 who wrote a paper uh university of miami of ohio i want to say was at at the time and he had done some early work with videotapes but date this this is 2007 and this conversation is happening at that point youtube was just being born and some of the technology that allowed what you know has became known as the flip classroom model was just coming into maturity so Amazing.
2: What was the early response like when you began to pilot the flipped classroom?
0: You know, the kids liked it because they realized that it was a better way to help them learn. Some of them struggled with it, I think. I mean, I know they did because it was different. We had other struggles like, you know, only 70% of our kids had high-speed internet at home. And so we had to solve that problem. We had to burn DVDs. We were having all kinds of issues early on to figure out how to get access for every student but after that first year we decided that we taught traditionally the first year we were there the second year we did flip classroom and our scores went up by one standard deviation we gave the exact same test the next year and we thought Mm -hmm. oh wow this this works so
1: so what kind of changes have you made in your format or your delivery
0: since then well it's flip learning has come to great, great maturity in the intervening years. When Aaron and I wrote our first book, Flip Your Classroom, we didn't cite any research study because they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Now to date, however many years it is later after 2007, there's maybe a couple thousand research studies that show that it works. The research studies aren't just showing that it works, but a lot of the research studies is how do you make it work, right? So that's the better question is how do yeah. you improve on the model? And so it's not the model that I created, I was there at the beginning, but we now kind of know what are the best practices of flip learning. and. Uh, You know, there's a series of lists of what are the best practices. And we made a lot of the same mistakes. Our videos were too long at the beginning. We discovered shorter videos were better. If you don't hold students accountable to doing the pre-work, it doesn't work. We didn't do that at first. We made all these mistakes, but now if somebody takes the time to read some of the literature, some of the books that I've written, etc., then that will help them to not make the mistakes (laughs) like we did the first time because we were just swinging in the wind.
1: So in your current video collection, how long are your videos?
0: So I teach high school chemistry and physics, and I don't think I have a video over 12 minutes. Oh, wow. So oh, for you. I think that's there might be a 14 one, but it's just very rare. So I really recommend that you kind of take the age of your student and that's the number of minutes they can maximally hand, but never be over 15. Well, oh, that's an interesting I rule. I like that. We've got a five-year-old, it's a five-minute video. If you had a 10-year-old, no more than a 10-minute video. But 15 is kind of your upper limit. So,
1: so a video that you made for me would be a full-length feature
0: film. <laughs> well, no, because it's not over 15. So I would stop at 15. For oh, 15 would be the max. That's the max, right? I mean, yeah. you think about a TED Talk. I've done a TED Talk, and they said, you have 18 minutes. That's it. If you go over 18, you know, we're going to pull the plug. Not quite. But basically, don't you dare go over 18 minutes. Yeah. So anyways.
1: So does that mean in a given lecture or a given topic or section of your course, you have one 12 minute video or multiple 12 minute videos?
0: It depends on the lesson. So there are times I'll break it up and I'll have, you know, 3.1 a and 3.1 B okay, for example. and okay. they'll be just so they break it up. I mean, the big idea is you'll have one topic per video, but there are some topics that require more than one. And okay. so then okay. you just, there's, there's usually a natural breaking point. Another thing that's interesting that we've learned about the videos is that I call it the rule of three is that when you, if you have a 30 minute lecture that you do in a class that will turn into a 10 minute video, it'll cut it by a factor okay. of three at first, maybe it's double. You're going to cut your time in half each, but as you get better at making the content be, you can deliver the same content in a third of the time of a live lecture, wow.
1: so. so in the learning management system, where you post this content, are you able to look at the frequency of which students are watching the
0: videos? Yeah, there's quite a few tools out there that track student progress. So I don't just flip now just with video, by the way, I also flip with text. So later this week, my students were reading some text and the tool I use, it also monitors how many minutes they spent reading the text. And then also built into the videos or the readings are some embedded questions. So after they watch, you know, a minute and 30 seconds, I'll pop in a question and then I'll get the formative feedback From the software and I can check who has and hasn't done it and that's again a part of the piece is holding them accountable if they're not keeping up
1: for those of you who are listening you're getting an awesome tutorial on how to do flip learning
2: i know thank you this is great go in the weeds one more time here with the technology piece so for your videos i know there's many different tools that you can use but do you have a tried and true setup
0: I've changed so many times, but this year I switched <laughs> to a new one. I just keep trying new things and I'm that guy. I used to use Ed which is one that does this. And then recently I started using perusal. The reason I use perusal, it's a developed out of Harvard is it does both video and text monitoring. And then this year I switched to one called actively learn. Our school has a school license for it. And so I thought hey, I want to give it a try and it does both video and text. It started as just a text monitoring tool for like reading text. And then they added video and I said, I'm going to move everything over. And I've really enjoyed the tool. I'm not sure there's a best tool. I'm working with the school right now on a consulting role. And they're using this tool called Edpuzzle. And I said, that's fine. Go for it. And I'm sure it completely matters which tool. Mm -hmm. You just got to pick one and then stick to it as a tool. So what's the
1: intervention when you notice that a student, for example, is not watching the videos or reading the text or completing the activities.
0: Well, my first, step, I mean, my students still care about grades. So if they haven't watched it, then their max score grade on that assignment just dropped. So, okay. and they know that, and that usually solves the problem. But then if they're also still not doing the work ahead of time, the, there's phone calls home and emails and this kind of a thing. And all the different sort of good teacher stuff that you have to do to get students to do work that they maybe are behind. And there's times where there's a reason somebody got sick, you know, and so I'll make a sure. Question. But if it's just because they're just not keeping up, because they're maybe just not as motivated as they could be, then I will find ways (laughs) to motivate them. (laughs) Very good. Very good.
2: John, it's been such a joy to have you on the Digital to Learn podcast. We'll be sure to promote your book on our website and social media. For all of our listeners, please like and share our podcast, Digital to Learn. And also be sure to check out our spinoff podcast, Behind the Scenes of IW Scholarship, where we interview employees of Indiana Wesleyan University, our colleagues and friends, about their recent scholarship endeavors. We'll see you again next week.
1: Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future.
2: Always keep learning.